This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book title is Unstoppable, and the author, Will Tustin, joins me from near Chicago, I believe. Is that correct, uh, Will? Yeah, it is, Jay. Just a slight suburb outside of Chicago called Arlington Heights. Well, great. Great to visit with you. Uh, I understand that you were born in Pittsburgh and grew up in New York City area and uh, somehow ended up in Chicago. Have you always been an author, or is this uh, a a new passion for you? Uh, Jay, I wrote a novel probably about uh, 20-some years ago. I was teaching at State University of New York, and I wrote a novel and Simon Schuster uh, had looked at it to produce it. And then I just kind of got away from it and pursued my professional career and just said, hey, time's slipping by. It's time to write a book. Uh, so I started writing books. And this is the second in a series, I think. Uh, Unstoppable is the name of, or the title of this book. What is the other book that you've written? Uh, the other book was called Ambushed. And it's actually what happened was I wrote a book that was about 1,300 pages long. And my publisher said, nobody wants to read more piece anymore. You need to break that into a trilogy. Gotcha. So I'm in the process of breaking it into a trilogy. So this is the second book of the trilogy. But you can read them independently, but this is the second one of the trilogy. This this title, Unstoppable, would you describe it as a, uh, a fictional work or a, a biographical work? Not biographical, but uh, a sketch? I know it's on the life of Paul from the New Testament times. Describe it for my listeners. How would they approach this, and what would they find inside its covers? Well, you know, I think every picture tells a story, but it's hard to find a frame for that picture. And that's what it's like when you write a book. You know, it's, you've got to figure out what your audience is going to be. And I wanted it to be a big frame, uh, that it would appeal to a lot of audiences. So what I wanted to do was write a historical fiction uh, on the life of Paul that would appeal to all audiences, not just Christian audiences, but to people that are not even familiar with Paul, uh, or maybe not even his life. And so I wanted to write a novel that really kind of went from one thrilling encounter in his life to another, uh, and just give some insight into Paul at the same time. Because uh, as you said, he's kind of, kind of an amazing individual. I mean, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and the New Testament is part of the Bible, and the Bible is the most sold book ever. So I just figured, why not do a book on this guy? Sounds like you're plagiarizing to me. I don't know. I just uh, maybe <laughs> not. It's described in on Barnes and Noble at uh, some points in our life we need to be unstoppable. This novel looks at one of history's most influential and unstoppable inv- individuals to ever walk this globe. The novel looks at his passion, devotion, and how it changed the world. So you have some uh, high value. For in the life of Paul that you have uh, personally described. Yeah, I do. And uh, I mean, I don't know if you would want me to make a comment at this point, but, you know, it just it was very impactful for me personally. And that's what kind of caused me to write the book. I was going through some experiences at the time. As you mentioned, there was uh, 1,200 pages on the first book. This one is 380-some pages, 84 pages, I believe. Uh, still a pretty hefty read. Will it uh, flow 
easily for the uh, for the reader? Can they pick up at uh, Unstoppable and then go back to the first edition or first in the trilogy? How 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 is your book structured? Yeah, I think they they should be able to do it very easily, Jay. I, uh, the first book, Paul kind of took his life and divided it into three parts. And so the first one was probably the first part of his life when he was uh, not affiliated or a follower of Jesus Christ. And the second book um, kind of talks about mission trips that he made, and then the third book's on the latter part of his life. So, you know, I think that if you have a little bit of an understanding of Paul's life, you can pick up the second book very easily. Uh, And even if you don't have an understanding of Paul's life and who he was, I think I've kind of structured the first couple of chapters so that somebody could just dive into the second book and know what's going on and hopefully be, you know, kind of encouraged to go back and read the first one so they can see what his life was made of when he was younger. You mentioned there's there in the first, uh, I guess, uh, version of this, it was 1,200 pages that you have split into three into a trilogy. The research, the time it took to complete that, how how did it flow from you? Did it was it one that you had to do a lot of research on? Was it one that just came inspirationally as far as the storyline? Uh, I'll give you a little background on that. You know, it's kind of like I was blessed that this novel found me in one place and left me in another place. And what I mean by that is is that I was dealing with a life-threatening disease. I was taking these experimental drugs at the time, and there's the effects of depression and suicide on me. I'm always a guy that glass is half full, and I was seeing the glass half empty, if not more than half empty. Mm. Uh, so I knew I needed to change my frame of mind, because it was like a year and a half of medication that I was taking. So I got a book on the 100 most important people to ever live, and so I focused on just the top 10. And as I went through those top 10 and studied them, that's when Paul jumped out at me, because I saw all these struggles that he had overcome, and it made my problem seem like a piece of cake. So I just started reading about him, and I got kind of consumed with it, because the medication kind of kept me somewhat bedridden. So I actually read two full bookshelves of about every book ever written on Paul the Apostle by biblical scholars and theologians. And I started thinking, like, I don't know if I'd ever read one of those books if I was healthy. Uh, so I decided to write a historical novel about Paul's life that's, you know, historically and biblically true, but just put a lot of excitement in between some of the things we don't know about his life. So it was a page-turning kind of a novel. Well, that's an incredible journey just by itself. Uh, of course, Paul's life, uh, those who do not know of Paul much, other than he's a historical and historical uh, biblical character, uh, he was imprisoned a lot. Uh, he was shipwrecked. He was bitten by uh, serpents. I mean, there was all kinds of very devastating things in the natural that uh, that hit his life. And yet, one of the underlying messages I think that I would uh, hope to see in your in your novel is that he stuck it out and uh, still had a, an unwavering faith. Is that why the the term unstoppable uh, became your title? Yeah, Jay, you're very perceptive. That That's so true. And, you know, he, it was easy to write about Paul's life because you really didn't have to add much spice to it because he really went through a lot. Uh, so, you know, sometimes they don't tell us how he got from point A to point B, and I would just kind of fill that in. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, he, even though he went through so many difficult times, he never gave up on his faith. He was just unstoppable in doing what he wanted to do for the Christian faith. So that kind of inspired me. And it's really the book is kind of written from that standpoint for non believers that, you know, that there's hope and there's faith for all of us. 
and that we just need to kind of look at that side of life rather than the darker side of life, you know, the, the hopelessness and the despair and things of that nature. So I try to kind of focus on that a little bit in the book about what Paul is made of and use that as inspiration for people going through difficult times. I don't have a copy of your book in front of me, but I'm uh, going to ask this question. Are there any um, maybe, I don't know, maps or descriptives of the distances involved in his travels? Yeah, I did, I used some maps in my first one. I did quite a few maps, and it was very insightful, I think, for people to see, you know, what all he did. I mean, he covered a lot of Asia, and he covered a lot of Europe. I mean, he really got around, he, you know, probably got into Africa a little bit, like, depending upon how you look at Africa back then. So there are some maps in this one just to kind of reemphasize and give people insight into what he went through and what he did. So, yeah, you're right on target, Jane. I think that has been helpful for people, you know, to see this guy either travel by boat or by foot, you know, occasionally maybe on a donkey or a horse to all these different locations, usually on foot if it was by land. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he, he, back then, bandits were everywhere. So, you know, people were constantly getting jumped by bandits and beaten up, and that kind of stuff happened to Paul. You know, you think of on ships back then and, you know, what ships were like and all the shipwrecks, and he was involved with shipwrecks. So, you know, there's just endless stories that could be told about Paul and kind of exaggerated a little bit just to fill in the readers and what happened from point A to point B. It really would make a wonderful adventure story in video format if it ever was uh, was created. You have, uh, in your research and in your reading, uh, did you ever, did you come across any event in his life that you were either not aware of or that surprised you or maybe cemented that title in your own personality a little more than it was? Uh, well, you know, it's really, it was interesting because I probably read, I don't know, hundreds of books on Paul's life. And there's, you know, obviously when you look at someone back that far, you know, people say Paul made like a fourth missionary trip to Spain and spent time in Spain. In fact, I just got back from Spain yesterday. Mm. And it's really kind of interesting to see the influence that can even date back to that time that Paul maybe did make a Spain trip. But, you know, it's just kind of, I think, sort of assumptions that some theologians make. So it was interesting to see where some where some people put Paul on mission trips that he may not have gone or may have gone. Uh, so that just kind of did encourage me to think that the guy wasn't, that Paul was unstoppable. But, you know, he just kept on going and going and going until his life was taken from him uh, when he was in Rome. Did you approach the novel in a conversational style? I did. I did. In fact, one thing, and I'm glad you asked that, Jay, because I think what makes it unique for the readers, uh, I've got a lot of positive press on this first one and also on the second one so far in the short life that it has had, but I actually do it in the first person. It's Paul telling the story. Uh, so it's Paul letting you know what he's going through and what he's feeling. And I think that's why it's so helpful and insightful for people today. Uh, I've had folks that have read these novels and just said you know, to help them get through their difficult times, to help them get through their struggles. And I think writing that in first person is what really kind of gives people the insight and the encouragement that they need to get through their difficult times. Fabulous. The three, or the trilogy itself, was that the most challenging part of getting this to press, or were there other challenges that you uh, you encountered? Um, probably just trying to figure out how to divide it up equally so that 
people could pick up one of the novels and read it and, you know, have an understanding. So I just tried to make sure that I could, I haven't written, the, have not written the third one yet. Actually, my third novel is uh, about the 21st century. So it's kind of nice to be writing in the 21st century rather than the first century. Because uh, I think one of the hardest things writing in the first century was trying to stay accurate with that time frame. In fact, I had a really good editor. And if I use words like, you know, he was a hip guy, you know, just accidentally throw a phrase like that in, she would say, they don't talk that way in the first century. They didn't talk that way. You got to like make it accurate. So just trying to stay biblically, uh, not necessarily biblically accurate, but just, you know, accurate to the times that were taking place. Because one thing I really wanted to do, and I think I did a tremendous amount of research and received a lot of compliments on this, is that I just really wanted people to be able to get an insight into what it was like to be a resident in the first century. You know, what's their customs? What type of food did they eat? What kind of activities did they do throughout the day? What kind of topics did they talk about? What did they wear? What were their fears? What brought them happiness? So I just tried to bring all those characters alive as much as I could by just putting excitement in their lives. That's fabulous. In fact, the Amazon uh, reviews on your book, of course, they're still light because you've just released this, but they're all five-star. People do like the way you've approached this. In your third section, which has not been released yet, in the senior or the latter days of Paul, did you discuss his his death at all or or how he uh, exited the, the stage right or left? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, and, and that's probably the latter portion of that third novel, uh, but it will be. And uh, to be honest with you on this, Jay, that I totally changed the book because it was not written in first person when I submitted it the first time. Uh, so I've got to go back in and just totally take a whole new approach for that third and final book since it's more of a first person novel just because once again you know if people are dealing with death or things of that nature i just kind of want to give them the insight that paul may have had back then on those kind of topics so it's it's trying to you know take what we know about paul and then put that in writing to actually be his thoughts and his words so that's that really is kind of a challenge because i try to stay as biblically accurate as possible just out of respect to paul the apostle We'll just confirm for my listeners when this story takes place. Uh, sure, Jay. I mean, I think that's kind of an important question to ask, because it takes place uh, in the first century when the Romans and Greek philosophies directed humanity's thinking. And Paul did a good job of stretching their thinking with his inspired wisdom in his 13 books that he wrote. And it's kind of interesting, because if you look at the first century, that's when Christianity first took a foothold in world religions. And there were just a handful of believers back then. But today, if you look at it, there are 2.1 billion Christians in the 21st century. Wow. It's the world's largest religion. Islam is 1.3 billion. Non-religious people are 1.1 billion. Hindus are 900 million. Buddhists, 375 million. And Judaism, about 20 million. So I just think that's kind of interesting that Paul was one of the individuals that really helped get that moving way back in the first century. Very interesting. Will, what's the underlying message you hope people will uh, will receive from, from reading your book? You know, I want people to kind of realize that hope and faith propel us, why hopelessness and faithlessness detain us. Uh, you know, in other words, just discover that optimistic spirit that longs to come alive in all of us. And that's one thing that Paul wrote about, which was the fruit of the spirits. And there was nine fruits that he talked about. And that's kind of what I want people to kind of be able to 
walk away with that, knowing that there is faith and there is hope and there is love out there to get us through our challenges in life. Well, a positive and uplifting message. Fabulous. And again, the descriptive of this novel is it's one of history's most influential and unstoppable individuals to ever walk this globe. And of course, that revolves around the life of the historical character, Paul, engaging with lots of uh, action and drama of interest to anybody who either wants to find out more about the life of Paul or those who might be curious and or just want an adventure read. And this is a book, uh, if you pardon the pun, that covers a lot of territory. Again, 384 pages. The title, again, is Unstoppable. The author, Will Tustin. That's with one L, W-I-L-T-U-S-T-I-N. Will, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? Uh, Barnes & Nobles. They can, uh, some stores have it. You can obviously get it online fairly easily. Uh, so that would be my recommendation for people. Excellent. They can also order, order it in uh, to their local bookseller by request. I'm sure they'll be happy to order it for them. Do you have a, uh, a, a website or a fan page established yet? I do. I have Will Tustin, as you mentioned, with 1L.net. So that's my website. I don't always keep it up to date as much as I probably should, but that's always one way to get in touch with me or uh, just catch up with me. Fabulous. Thank you for joining me today from the Chicago area and uh, sharing your insight into why this book, Unstoppable, was written and how it impacted your life. Thank you for sharing the story of Paul and uh, also for sharing it in the way you have in the first person, as though we're walking alongside of Paul during his adventures and uh, during his journey. Thanks again for being a part of today's program. Well, thanks, Jane. I hope people feel that way when they read it. Absolutely. Thank you, Will, for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Indie Book Publishing, Balboa Press. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled Believe and Achieve. This book is uh, one of those motivational-type books, and my author who joins me from California is author Joel Hopkins. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you very much. And I, I believe you are in California, or is it in uh, the Northwest? No, I am in California. Fantastic. Well, good visiting with you. I uh, I understand that uh, this is a first attempt for you, at least as an author. Share a little of your background and why this book got written. Um, well, I am a financial executive at a major entertainment company, and um, 
part of the reason that I wrote the book is because um, as you work your way through the corporate world, one of the things that you always have are meetings. And I feel like um, I'm, I'm an observer. So I look and watch and um, I saw that some people that were very successful, top level executives were very averaged intelligence and some people that were not nearly as successful were very, very bright people. And I started really thinking like, why is that the case? Why, hmm. why isn't it that all the really, really bright people are the really successful people? And as I analyzed it, I sort of found a trend and I wanted to share that. It is part of that, and and I have observed similar situations where there are some very, in fact, I have some family members who are, I would call them brilliant, but uh, they don't seem to achieve much. They they seem to be focused on, you know, getting through the day, getting through the week, but long-term goals seem to disappear. What what was What's the first step that you, you felt was uh, was important? I know you, you use the word uh, satua- uh, saturation busters and vampire charts and other things in your book which are an interesting turn of phrase do those all build on the same foundation they do uh, build on the same foundation because your environment is everything and if you've never peeked over the wall of your environment you don't necessarily know that it really should be a lot different i remember speaking to a young woman uh, who was, you know, no more than 18 or 19 and was working in a kitchen at an elementary school. And she was talking to me and saying she was so excited because she thought she was going to get a 15 cent an hour raise. And I looked at her and I thought, wow, she's bilingual. She's super smart. She's attractive and got a great personality. She does not know. She's never looked over that wall. She's never seen that. 15 cents an hour is so minuscule in the whole spectrum of what she's capable of um, that in that moment, I knew God, I just have to be able to, you know, get the word out to those people that just look over the wall a little bit and you will find that it is so much easier to achieve a thousand times that um, if, if you really stop the saturation and, and take a chance to, get a different perspective on how much easier it is to accomplish your goals than you might think. It's And it's astounding to look at some of the history of uh, very successful people who in their early years or in their early education and so on, uh, Einstein himself was considered to be a dolt or a, a, an underachiever when he was a child in school. They, they didn't think he would ever amount to anything. Winston Churchill the same way. There are many people who have achieved greatness in their life that had that ability to to get beyond their circumstance and their environment and become something or accomplish something you talk about upbringing how important is that uh well upbringing is you know really important because it it sends a foundation you know it really is the foundation you have a tendency I, i have young children myself and i find that if i tell them something about who they are they very easily become that if I mm. I have been telling my kids they are brilliant for ever ever since they could talk You're, and they believe themselves brilliant and they get really good grades and they love to um, go to school and you know 
some might say, well, maybe they are, you know, smart. I, maybe so. But I've been telling them that, and they haven't always acted like they felt it, but now they do. And I just keep telling them that. That's beautiful. That's good parenting and and good advice for the people we associate with. And I think that's that's one of the um, one of the keys that you have mentioned under vampire charts. Some of the people that just suck the blood out of you. I've got some very close friends that every time I'm around, if I you know happen to highlight what I think is a personal achievement, they will come back and say, "Well, that's not such a big deal." Uh, they kind of yeah. have that that mentality of of diminishing other people that's that that are around them. Uh, you you have uh, laid this out in uh, how many different uh, divisions? Is it just the the goals and saturation busters? Is that the division of your book? Mostly, yeah, yeah. I try and just impart as much as much. When I say it's advice, it's just what I have employed in my life, and it has worked for me. I was um, uh, very poor as a child. Um, I, you know, I did not have, um, I did not have particularly good, um, study habits. I didn't get particularly good grades, but there was something that I did have. I had very, a very positive mother who was very, very, I heard my mother say once, well, Joe will be able to accomplish anything because he doesn't know that he can't. Wow. And that statement uh, stayed with me through my whole life. And I thought, you know what? I always have kind of thought that, yes, I don't have anything now, but I will. And I know that I'm going to. And I think there's so many people who never really get that. And, and the common core between successful people is undoubtedly they just thought they could. Yeah, they just really, really at the core of their being thought that they could. You take someone like Oprah Winfrey who, you know, came from a, a very poor background. And there was something in that woman. She just believed she could, and she did more than most could ever do. It's incredible when you look around. Even even Steve Jobs was not a college graduate, I, I believe, or university graduate, but he right. he had right. that, that belief system in place. You have in Chapter 7 talked about spiritual commitments. What do you mean by that? What is a spiritual commitment that uh, helps you with your goals? Well, you know what? A spiritual commitment is sort of, um, to me, is you know being happy with who you are. And um, there are, I do talk about spiritual commitments. I think that can hold you back. I don't ever like using the word religion because that you know that means so many different things to different people that it's it's a hard word to use when you're trying to explain a concept because it was like oh religion. That must mean mm-hmm. you're this religion, and they're bad because of that. So I just say your spiritual commitment is um, is that belief in yourself and that sense of joy that you should try and bring into your life every day. You have uh, subtitled this also, in 30 days you can successfully prepare yourself to achieve any goal or program you desire. That's a fairly lofty ambition, you have, I guess, proven this in your own personal life. How difficult is it to get started and to keep on track? Well, I think, uh, so I have, you know, followed many different motivational speakers and spiritual advisors, and somehow, even in following them, I felt like, okay, you have all this great advice, but it's kind of like if you're dieting, 
Well, someone says, well, you know what? If you eat right, you'll lose weight. But <laughs> they don't really give you a core how to prepare yourself or quitting smoking. Just stop smoking. You know, I, I, I was a smoker and I had to stop smoking, um, you know, 15 years ago. And I just wanted people to have a sense of what little things can I do that can adjust my belief in myself. And I picked out the things that are the most obvious to holding you back from really believing in who you are. And I do talk about that. Tell it like it is person. I don't have any friends that are tell it like it is friends. I only have supportive friends because Mm. tell it like it, tell it like it is people always tell you something negative. They never walk in and say, wow, you look fabulous today. I'm sorry. I just tell it like it is. They don't say that. That's like, Oh wow, that hair color. I don't know. I don't know if that works for you. Mm. Never really positive people. So I just say, get rid of them altogether and you'll just feel a weight off your shoulders and it'll just make you walk a little taller. And that is the way you want to go into any goal. And I also talk about not picking a goal because someone else thinks it should be your goal. If going to college is not your goal, don't go to college because then college will become work. Mm. Now, if you're excited about a particular field and love it like a scientist you're going to go to college and love every minute of your – and you won't necessarily refer to what you're doing as hard. You might say, I had to spend a lot of hours on it. I was exhausted and fatigued. But you'll never say that it was hard because you loved it. Like, I mean, I don't think you find many athletes that say – or professional athletes that say, oh, boy, work was really hard today. <laughs> like, oh, my God, no. I have an ERA of you know, 356 or something like that in it right. because they love it. I'm trying to guide people to – really pick the goals that they love and not because they think they're going to make money or they think they're going to make their family happy or any of those uh, reasons that I don't believe are the reasons you, you pick a direction. Joel, do you give any recommendations or suggestions on how to obtain the friendships that we all desire? And those are the positive input people. I have a few of those. The ones that were my mentors in the past have uh, unfortunately uh, had health illnesses and, and passed away, and I haven't been able to replace them. And I'm having a difficult time because of that. How do you find those individuals? Where are they hiding in this, uh, this world of uh, confusing input? Well, it is not easy. And so I, the way I do it is just by, and it may not be the most scientific, but it's just by the process of elimination. If you remove the ones that are not that way, it just opens the door for more people to come in. And if you're you know, allowing a balance of those people that aren't that way, they are critical or, um, the tell it like it is person, then you're limiting the amount of time open to find new people. And as you begin to be that yourself, you will attract people that are like that, Beautiful. that are like, that are supportive. You will do it. Beautiful. You, uh, you have completed a book that is uh, in a kind of a general phase, one of motivational and inspirational, I guess. You, how long did it take Joel to, to put this into print? And who was the person that you were trying to reach with your message? I had thought about it for several years um, as I formulated my ideas when I actually put um, pencil to paper 
it probably took me a year and a half, um, maybe a little bit more, uh, primarily because when I started writing it, um, my children were very young, um, you know, in the three to six year old range, and of which I have three. And uh, it was a little bit difficult to, you know, take the time to just sit down and, um, and, and focus and organize my thoughts. Um, and the person that I'm trying to reach isn't a specific type of person per se. It's not a college student or a business executive. It is that person who doesn't feel they have enough but doesn't really know why they don't have enough. And what I mean by that is my example of the young woman that I met that I looked at and thought, oh my God, she has so many qualities mm. that are so important in society today and she just has no idea. Well, A little bit hard uh, to identify those people because some people, they don't know what they don't know. And I saw so many people that I just want to say, oh my gosh, do you realize this quality and this quality and this quality? can bring you here. Um, so if anybody just looking for more in their life to fulfill their life more, and it'll just hopefully give them a fresh perspective and less, um, saturation. Cause there's all kinds of saturation. And I talk about it, just the noise in the world in particular, if you're someone that lives in the city with sirens and loud music and all those things, I believe, draw you down even though some people might think they bring you up i don't believe they do i mm. believe that they sort of draw you down and hold you back well i agree with that that's uh, that's been sort of my evaluation process over the last uh, few weeks i've been looking at all the noise around me and wanting to find a way to uh, maybe escape for a week or two and just chill I mean, and more than just yeah. relax, but to actually reevaluate what's important in life. Your book is uh, is easy to read. You've included some charts and some graphs and some ideas, some some working things, tools for for the reader. Uh, are you hoping to to uh, perhaps uh, do a follow up book, or is this your your primary goal at the moment? You know this book is my primary goal. I mean, it is what I wanted to do. It's what I wanted to leave behind for my children. It's what I wanted to share about my experience. Um, because I really did start with nothing. I did not have money for college like, you know, many kids do. And I just wanted it to be out in the universe. So if there are those people that are excited about a 15 cent an hour raise, that they can have millions and they can have wonderful relationships and they can have um, wonderful children and all those things. It is not nearly as impossible as they think it is. And I just want to do in part that. Fabulous. And as I grow, I plan on writing another book, <laughs> same, same type of book, the next level. Like what do you do now? Now you've been through your 30 days. Now you are feeling much better. Now, how do you really pick that goal that is going to catapult you into the stratosphere? Well, an exceptional job. The title of the book, again, is Believe and Achieve. In just 30 days, you can successfully prepare yourself to achieve any goal or program you desire. My author, Joel Hopkins. Joel, where do we get copies of your book? Well, in the day of online everything, you can get it on um, BalboaPress.com. You can get it on Amazon.com. Any any 
any online book sales it's available everywhere. Fabulous. And again, for those who uh, might want to uh, look at their local bookseller, they can also order it in for you if you choose to uh, to get it that way. Again, the title, Believe and Achieve. My author, Joel Hopkins. Joel, thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. For Indie Book Publishing, Balboa Press, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing. More joy and less judgment. You're not alone. Come to The Living Room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We are saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. Welcome back to Author Talk. Brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is You Can't Heal a Wound by Saying It's Not There. And the subtitle, Overcoming Your Past and Embracing Your Future. This is the second edition. And joining me from California is the author, Dr. Sandra J. Talby. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Jay. Uh, Dr. Talby, this is a, a book that is um, brief by some standards, 164 pages, but as I began to read its content, I found out that it was uh, very uh, thoughtfully put together. It is deep in its uh, thinking process mm-hmm. and, and in its content. Mm-hmm. How did you condense mm-hmm. everything in such a short period of time into a book? Mm. Well, it's uh, a story that's been in my heart for over 25 years. And when I was a seminarian, I knew that uh, I was going to write a book with that title. So it's a story that goes way back. My mother used to always say to me, uh, you know, different things I would bring up, and she'd say, oh, it's all going in the book. So I think unconsciously I've been preparing to write it. It only took me nine months to actually uh, type it out, you know, to do word processing, nine months. So, mm-hmm. the, the content itself, though, is I would call it a very deep thinker's book. Uh, that's something that you have been working on all of mm-hmm. your uh, adult life, I guess. And your mom somehow had an, had an inkling that you would be an author and share this uh, this uh, this material. Yeah, I think she did. I think she did. Um, and thank you for the compliment of saying deep deep thinker. Uh, I pride myself in you know thinking through things. I you know I am thoughtful. And I tried in this book to combine uh, my seminary training uh, with uh, my psychiatric training. And uh, so the two kind of just come together. And I say in the book that uh, theology and psychiatry or psychology are kind of uh, two sides of the same coin. And so as I think about, you know, people and all of us, you know, we're all broken, including me, <laughs> and, uh, and, and therefore... You know, there's a uh, a work that God wants to do in each one of us. And uh, so I wrote that book really to kind of 
awaken people who are not aware of the fact that they most likely have a wound too that goes way back. And I tied it to the text Jeremiah 14 where the New King, New King James Version says, uh, they dress the wounds of my people as though they were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. And then I gave the updated translation of that, which is you cannot heal a wound by saying it's not there. And the fact is that most people uh, deny that they, they have some kind of brokenness. And, uh, and so I, I try to awaken that in people um, so that they can begin to open up their heart to God and to uh, see that God has a plan for their life and it's to use their brokenness to uh, get healed and then to reach out to other people. There, There is a New Age, uh, I guess, New Age thought that's uh, floating about, and, and I may, in some cases, uh, think it has invaded the church culture, where, you know, we are the, the term, and I, I hope this doesn't uh, step on anybody's toes theologically. Uh, again, I'm... I will, I will say I am a, a bystander mentioning this. Um, there's a, 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 a train of thought that's called positive confession. And the positive confession is it really doesn't exist if you, if you claim that it doesn't. Uh, you're not saying that wounds are not there. You just say that you cannot uh, heal them by, by ignoring them. Is that the, the uh, that, way of describing it? That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's exactly what I'm saying. So, no, I'm not saying that positive confession thing, but, but the, yes. you, you are exactly right. Yeah. Did, Most people deny that they have any issues, and uh, and they just say, well, you know, it's, it's her, or, or the wife will say, it's him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so what I'm saying is it's both of them, and uh, and so it's up to them to figure out, you know, what they need to do to get well. But, but, but beyond that, um, our ultimate healing is to, accept Christ and to uh, receive him as our Lord and Savior. And most people, you know, they, they don't know that. Yeah, yes. Your, your book itself, because you are a pastor and come from a Christian background, would you say that your audience is uh, going to be primarily those of faith uh, communities, or are you also reaching out to those who either have been in a faith community and are maybe wounded and and uh, not comfortable in a church? Uh, who are you trying to reach with uh, this message? I the purpose really of the book was to uh, reach out to people who are not in the building. They may have, as you said, at one time been in church and been wounded by fundamentalist religion, and therefore they've walked away, or. They may be just so angry at God, uh, and, and they've never even considered that God loves them. So I'm really reaching out to people who uh, don't know him and who uh, may be able to open up by reading a book like this that's not preachy, and it's not heavy uh, in terms of the psychological language. I, I really try to just use everyday conversational-style you know, uh, parlance and uh, that's why I ended with that story taken from the uh, the Velveteen Rabbit, which is a powerful story. And uh, so I, I'm I'm trying to reach people who are not churched, 
whether they were there and left or whether they never came. And then, and then secondarily, certainly people who are Christian can, uh, be- can benefit. You've broken it down into five different parts. Uh, the first part is anatomy of a wound, and uh, you, you uh, again encourage people to acknowledge, yes, I do have a wound of some type. I may have uh, buried it in my uh, psyche or into, into my past, but it's there, and I need to address it. The second one is the anatomy of a wound facing the wound. And then hope for the future. Hope is something that people are missing in our society and in the church world in specific. How do you address that? What's the hope of their getting through this maybe hidden part of their life? Yes, that's a good question. Well, first of all, um, hope, you know, is not some um, magical thing where uh, people just kind of want things to turn out the way that they want. I try to make the point that hope really, again, is rooted in Christ, but it means that we uh, should expect that he is going to keep his promise to us, which is to use whatever the pain is, whatever the wound is, for our good, and we are to use that to reach out and help other people. In other words, if there's somebody who is, uh, let's just say they, they, they've never done drugs or alcohol or anything, but they're just very perfectionistic and... Uh, they uh, look down at people and they're selfish. Well, that's a wound. And, uh, and so God wants to heal that. And I'm calling them to look at that and to, to understand that you can be free from that. And you can reach out to people who are similarly like you. And you can say, you know, I was once like that too. And God healed me. So that's the message I'm trying to say. Whatever it is, whether it's uh, perfectionism or whether it's some wound from abuse in childhood or a wound because you were addicted to pornography or drugs or alcohol, whatever it is, maybe it's just judgmentalism, God can heal it, and he has purpose, and we have to tell our stories. What I like about your book and your approach is that you don't shy away from subjects which may make some people nervous. Uh, you, you, had the, you, you, you approach them head on. Uh, things like PTSD, which is, again, something that's prevalent in our society. Uh, you talk about the wounds of racism, the wounds of homelessness. What do you yeah. see in homelessness that is uh, is culturally needing to be addressed? Oh, yes. Well, first of all, our in our church plant, we have a feeding ministry. And so I began to go out and I tell a couple stories in there where we're just volunteering and serving coffee at 6 o'clock in the morning. And I got to know people and know their stories. And they, uh, they're they just like anybody else. But homelessness, the wound is that they've lost their dignity. Mm. They, they, they're very apologetic. They don't think people care about them. And they're embarrassed because a lot of them are not able to take showers. And so, they, you know, they smell. And uh, so they, 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 they come uh, kind of uh, with a... A downward uh, look, you know, they don't look you straight in the eye because they, they, they just have lost their sense of, of dignity. And, um, and so people need to uh, reach out and to, and to help them. I, I know uh, many, many years ago when I was a seminarian and I uh, was being discipled by a wonderful pastor in, the, in a church in the Bay Area, and he, he would say that, you know, he was just called to love people. He said, he had to love you. And then he told stories of how some of the millionaires, you know, were just so far above, you know, homeless people. Mm-hmm. And he would tell them, you've got to love people. 
who 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 need you know your help. And so one day he said a, a very wealthy lady was jogging, and she told him she said, you know, Pastor, I tried to do what you said. She says that I I took some of my clothes and I wrapped it up and I threw it in the bushes. She said, was that good? And, but you see, she <laughs> she wouldn't she wouldn't touch the person. She just threw the bag and kept running. And what I'm saying is homeless people need a hug, a handshake. They need to know that, you know, God loves them. Uh, and and so they have lost all sense because they – one man told me that um, – he, he said, look, uh, homelessness for me was like a perfect storm. He said, I, uh, I my, my wife left me. He said – I, I missed a paycheck, and then I got uh, thrown out of the house. And so he said, all those three came together, and now I'm here on the street. And he was even an educated man, you know? And, and yes. so there's a lot of people out there, whether they're educated or not, I'm saying they need somebody to just take a, uh, you know, an interest in them and, uh, and, and uh, let them know that, number one, that God loves them, and they can turn their life around. So that's what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. That, uh, that encouragement is important. I, and I will mention that there are many homeless people who have fallen from great heights. Uh, they may have been successful in business. I know of one instance right. where an individual had a, a very successful business, and that business went through hardship, and he lost everything and was on the streets for two and a half, three years, and is just now mm-hmm. trying to recover. Uh, people right. are reaching out to him, trying to, to assist him in getting his life back on track. So so that's mm-hmm. a, that's an important message. What what do you hope to achieve by sharing this this message in its second edition? Well, I hope that uh, people who haven't thought about uh, number one individual wounds, but more importantly these four wounds of the of the culture. I mean, and there are probably others, but I mean those are the ones that really struck me. I, I hope it will move them to say, you know what, I, I got to make a difference. I, I need to turn my, my own life around so that I can make a difference in our culture. That, that's what I'm trying to say. Beautiful. The book is called A Second Edition. Uh, were there a lot of changes uh, when you re-released this? Uh, there were some changes, not a whole lot, but, but I tried to give some updates. For instance, I tell a story about Lucy who was a homeless woman on the streets here in Orange County. And uh, I got to know her very, very well. And um, she actually went to jail. She told me one day as I was serving coffee, she said, I won't be here for a, a while. I will uh, be in jail for 90 days. And she said, uh, I'm going to be in jail for something that people of means would not even have to bother with. But mm. because I don't have money, I will be in jail. I mean, it was something silly, like she had rented a car and, you know, either not turned it back in on time, or I, I don't know what. Mm. But anyway, I kept up with her, visited her in jail, and then two years later, she sent word to the director of that feeding program, who then contacted me, and he said, I mean, her name really isn't Lucy, but let's just say, he said, Lucy wanted you to know that she has moved to Atlanta, she has come into some money, and she was able to buy a house. Wow. Well, that just warmed my heart because here I've been asking God, you know, show me how you touch people's lives and you turn them around. And that's an example. 
So that was one of the updates I put in there. Fabulous. And do you think this is one of the things that sets it apart from other books out there? This is more than a self-help. It's it's really a ministry outreach uh, in some respects. It's a counseling book, and yet it's very conversational in style. What makes it, in your estimation, something that my listeners should get a copy of? Well, it's exactly what you said. Um, and it's also at the end, I, as you may notice, I have study notes for those who want to lead a small group because I go into more detail, break down some of the Hebrew and Greek words so that they can explain better what I'm talking about, like the word meditate. You know, I talk about how in Hebrew it really means to mumble, to mumble and to ask God, what are you saying to me? But that's at the end, in the end notes. And then also at the end of the book, there is a study guide where I am hoping people will either individually on their own read the book and ask themselves questions. Because I, I ask, you know, what did you think about so-and-so's story? What did you think of, of what the author said when, uh, you know, she talked about how there are uh, storms that come, you know, in the natural earthquakes and um, in the wreckage. And then I make the metaphor that, you know, the same thing happens in a life when, when somebody gets divorced, you know. Have you ever had such wreckage in your life? You know, so it's it's a book that um, I hoped that people would read the study guide and really do some self-reflection or share it in a small group pro- process and share it with one another. Dr. Talby, uh, this is such a, a fabulous read. Are you planning to do any further writing? Oh, yes. I have several uh, books on the, on the burner. Uh, one, um, I actually say... I don't know if I say it in the book or, or uh, preparing for this interview, but um, it's called uh, High and Wide and Deep. And I have concluded that uh, most of us do not know the love of God. So that's what it's going to be about. And then I also have a book on the burner uh, called Game Changer. And it's about my husband's traumatic uh, rollover Jeep accident that uh, rendered him traumatically brain injured. And I want to tell that story because most people... Uh, have some kind of, uh, you know, things happen in their life, whether it's a miscarriage or a divorce or uh, someone gets ill and is, you know, disabled for the rest of their life, or they die. And so there there are things that happen that are game changers. So that's the third book that I'm um, working on. There will be yes. there will be many in the future for sure. And I will, again, re- reemphasize this, listeners. Dr. Talby is a great storyteller and a wonderful writer, so you will enjoy not only this particular book, You Can't Heal a Wound by Saying It's Not There, but the others on the horizon. Just keep her name handy and do a search. And uh, when those books are available, hopefully we'll get to visit with you about those as well. That would be wonderful. Fabulous. The title of the book, again, is You Can't Heal a Wound by Saying It's Not There. Overcoming Your Past, Embracing Your Future. This is the second edition, and my author, Dr. Sandra J. Tolby. Where do we get copies of your book, Dr. Tolby? Okay. So it is available uh, at Amazon.com, um, and it's in ebook, soft uh, cover, as well as hardback. And then it's also available at Barnes & Noble and other uh, book outlets, as well as uh, at authorhouse.com. Fabulous. They can also request it at their local bookseller if they have your name on hand or the name of the book. You can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. Talby is spelt T-A-U-L-B-E-E. 
Got enough ease in there, I think. Well, thank you, Doctor. <laughs> thank you, Doctor Talby, for joining me today and and sharing your story. This is a, a very practical book, great study guide, and uh, full of wonderful information. Thank you for sharing it with us today. Thank you so much. Honored to visit with you for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker.